I, I do want to take this moment to invite you to a very special worship service tonight. Uh, we, uh, as, as Brentwood Baptists, are hosting the Tennessee Baptist Convention called the Summit here in our building for the next uh, two or three days. It kicks off tonight at 630 uh, with a worship experience. Uh, our choir, our musicians are leading that worship experience. And according to Travis, this was just a little warm up of what you can get hold of tonight. 630, I would love for you to be here to support our worship leaders. My friend Robbie Gallaty of Long uh, Hollow Baptist Church will be preaching. Uh, Robbie is a, uh, a unique and strong uh, pastor. Uh, he is one of my very good friends, and we're very fortunate to have Robbie here tonight. It will, be, it will be a worship service worth your time. And it starts here in our sanctuary at, at, uh, at 630. So I'll be here, and I'd love to see, uh, see you join me uh, with us. Uh, Long Hollow has had uh, a significant spiritual awakening and they have baptized over 1,500 people uh, in these last several years. And, and all of us keep calling Robbie going, what's going on? What are you doing? He goes, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just hope I don't mess it up. I don't know. So, uh, but but he's, a, he's, a, he's a very, very good guy and, uh, and be here tonight. Mental health specialists tell us that in this time of anxiety, our culture and the people in it are on their last nerve. We are struggling because our life seems so out of control. We don't know, should we go to work or should we stay home? If I go to work, will I have to wear a mask? Do I don't wear a mask? Who has to be vaccinated and who doesn't care? The simplest conversation now can lead you into a hostile argument. I told you the other day that I can walk through the halls and say, good morning, and you will look at me and go, what do you mean by that? We are touchy. We are anxious. We are frustrated because we're so out of control. Can I let you in on a little secret? We've never been in control. Never. The anxiety is the fighting of the illusion that we are in control and that we can regain control. Paul writes to an anxious church, brothers and sisters that he loved deeply in Philippi. He comes to the end of the letter. And this is how he concludes it. Chapter 4, Philippians. Stand with me in honor of God's word. So then, my dearly beloved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Euodium and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for, my, for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone, for the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Like the people at Philippi, we are worried about what's going to happen next. May these words of Paul to them be the medicine we need today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Paul was the pastor of a local church. However you want to read Paul, however you want to understand Paul, you can never disconnect him from his role and his understanding of himself as a pastor. When Paul describes all of the hardships he's been under in 2 Corinthians, he talks about all the times he's been beaten, all the times he's been shipwrecked, all the times he's been left for dead and put in prison, on and on the list goes. The last uh, of those sufferings, the cherry on top, what Paul was when Paul said, and I face the daily pressure of leading all of these churches. Being shipwrecked, left for dead, beaten, put in jail, that's one thing. Pastoring a church is in a whole different deal. But you can't understand Paul without understanding that he's not so much writing theology. He's not going God subpoint one, Jesus subpoint two. He's dealing with real people whose names he knew, real situations that he understood, and applying the gospel of Jesus Christ to those particular people in those particular situations. Paul loved the local church. Now he is writing to a church that he loves best. The rest of the Philippian letter is a very tender letter celebrating Paul's relationship to them, but he's writing to calm them because they are worried. One, they aren't a particularly rich congregation. Two, Paul, their leader, is in jail. Paul has said, I want you to do everything the way you have seen me do it. And they're sitting back in Philippi going, but you're in jail. It caused them some kind of frustration that their pastor, their leader, was suffering such indignities as Paul was. He wasn't being rewarded. He wasn't being elevated. He wasn't giving a platform. He was in jail. 
They had sent a care package to him. He responds in thanksgiving and gratitude. And he responds with this letter. Now, in every one of Paul's letters, you have at what I call margin notes. Okay? Now, those of us who remember writing on paper, (laughs) remember you'd hold the pen in your hand and you would get to the last piece of paper or you didn't want to start a new sheet of paper. So what did you do? You wrote in the margins. You wrote, and, and, and you had, a, there's a particular skill in following some people's letters, okay? Because they would write you, and then you'd have to turn it, and then you'd have to flip. Then you had to figure out, did they write on the back before they wrote on the side? And there was an art thing to this. This is what Paul is doing. He's coming to the end of the parchment, or the, the, the person delivering the letter is about to leave, so Paul has to wrap this up, and he does it with a series of one-liners. Any one of these one-liners, you can spend the rest of your life on. But here are the things that I really, really want you to get. Here are the things I want you to know. It's that driveway conversation before you pull off, right, that you always had with your parents. Be careful. Have you got money for gas? Do you know the way? Did you check the oil in your car? All of those last little things. This is Paul. And the first thing he says is to two women, work it out. Brothers and sisters, the ones I love, the ones I long for, tell these two women Work it out. In fact, I want you to help them work it out. These two women had been significant laborers in the gospel. They had worked alongside of Paul. They had shared the ministry and the mission of Paul. Now, for whatever reason, they had gotten crossways with each other. That's one of the reasons I think Philippians was a Baptist church. (laughs) And... the disagreement between these two women was shutting down the entire place. Understand, we saw it in Ephesus when we talked about the gifts of the Spirit. The first gift that the Spirit of God gives the body of Christ, the first gift is unity. Not uniformity. We're not all the same, don't need to be the same, but there is a common response to a common problem. We were all sinners found by Jesus. Our stories differ in details, our stories differ in application, but our stories are all the same. We serve the same Jesus. All of us serve the same Jesus. We're one team with one goal, one mission. When that's not happening, somebody is dealing with their own agenda. Now, I am, 
I'm old enough to remember hymnals. You know, those books of songs used to be in churches. And every now and then, in our little church, somebody would mishear the number. Were y'all ever in church when that happened? It was a great moment. <laughs> somebody would mishear the number. The minister of music would give the downbeat, and this poor friend would sing confidently the wrong song. on the wrong page. Yodia and Sintiki, Paul says, get on the same page. And what you find out about that page, it's not yours, it's not mine, it's his. Work it out. I want you to pray about everything. I want you to pray about big things. I want you to pray about little things. I want you to pray about everything. Why? Because you and I aren't smart enough to handle anything. How many of you have dealt with family issues that sometimes went on for days, months, even years because somebody in the family said one thing that they did not think was that big a deal? Said a little something, somebody took it wrong. Why are you mad? It's not that big a deal. It's not even something, quote, that you would have to pray about. Pray about everything. Why? Because you and I don't know how to handle anything. Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, notice the word he said. He did not say, be happy. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is response to the moment. The dessert tastes great. That's happiness. Joy is the dessert tastes great and it has no calories. Okay. Joy is that constant abiding confidence that Jesus has worked it out. Amen. Okay? It's the reasons we can laugh at funerals. It's the reasons we can tell each other stories and laugh when things go bad because we know in the end Jesus has it worked out. So every day the world drives me nuts. You know, now all of a sudden they're saying, you know, you don't need to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're a couple of thousand years late to that. We called it Sabbath. One day a week where you disconnect, unplug, 
Remember who you are and what you're about. Now they're saying that you need to stop every day for 15 or 20 minutes and meditate. Why would you want to sit and think about nothing when you can sit and talk to Jesus? I don't get that. But they want you to think about nothing. 15 or 20 minutes a day. We've been telling people that for years. Now, now what do you need to do to deal with your anxiety? You need to have a gratitude journal. Pray, do everything with thanksgiving. That's a couple of thousand years old. You just now getting this? Yeah. You need to sit down every day and remember how good God has been to you. Big ways, small ways, and everything in between. You will find out that you have more to be grateful for than you do to be wanting. More times than not, you will end up rejoicing at the end of your gratitude because you will realize, I don't need anything and the Lord has already taken care of me. And taking care of me in ways that I didn't even know I needed, that I wasn't even smart enough to ask for. And the Lord in his goodness gave them to me. Rejoice. Pray. And the peace of Christ will guard your heart and mind. Now, most of us consider peace being the absence of something. Paul thinks it is a very active thing of God. Now, wasn't in the military, watched a lot of the military channel. And any time an, an army unit is, is, has to stop overnight or whatever, the first thing you do is you secure the perimeter. You place guards to make sure no one's sneaking up on you. This is the language that Paul is using about the peace of, of, of God. The peace of God will guard your heart. Will stand and walk, and walk the perimeter of your mind so that the world can't get to your heart or get to your mind. The peace. Now, are you thinking about... This is, this, is, this is one sentence. <laughs> the world attacks you, sends all kind of negativity your way. The first thing the, 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 the attack encounters is not you, not your strength. And the first thing it encounters is the peace of God. The peace of God absorbs the attack so that it, what bumps into you? What pushes into you? Not the attack, the peace. That's amazing. That is amazing to me. And that gives you and I the ability to think on things that are Christ-like. 
Here are the things I want you to think about. Those things that are beautiful, those things that are noble, those things that are honorable. These are the things that I want putting in your mind. Here's what we know. Remember James, James chapter one. Do not say God tempts you, for God isn't tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. Temptation happens when you hold the thought in your head. See? You hold the thought in your head. The thought in your head becomes the desire of your heart. The desire of your heart becomes the action of your life. The action of your life becomes the character of who you are. See, that's what James warns us about. When you think negatively like this, you end up living this way. So Paul takes us the other way. Here are the things I want you to think about because whatever you hold in your mind becomes what you desire in your heart. And lastly, whatever you've seen in me, heard from me, watched from me, learned from me, I want you to do. Now, Let's cut to it. A lot of us are messed up right here, right here. And we're messed up because of obedience. Paul is saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to obey the truth and the teachings of Christ that you've heard and seen in me. You've seen me live it out. You've heard me teach it. I want you to be obedient. You see, a lot of this other stuff that Paul's talking about in his margin notes, the joy, the peace that guards our heart, the ability to control our thinking, all starts with a simple step of obedience. Most of us haven't taken that first step of obedience and we're disobedient and our lives are out of line with the flow of God's peace and the flow of God's power in our life because we will not take the next simple step of obedience. Okay? Now, you know the Lord, you know, I don't know God's will for my life. Mike, come on. Everybody knows three things Jesus wants them to do. Everybody knows three. Do those three things. You're thinking, well, those things aren't that big. That's right, because you haven't done enough little things for Jesus to trust you with the big things. Okay? Like I used to tell my boys, you won't clean your room up. You won't be anywhere on time, but you want me to trust you in an automobile out there by yourself. No, you do the little things, that makes me trust you in the big things. Same here. Are you being faithful with your time? Do you have a time where you study the scripture and you focus on prayer? Do you have that time? That is the first step. That's the easiest thing to do. Are you doing that? Well, well, no, Mike. Then don't expect Jesus to tell you the next thing till you do the first thing. Are you being faithful with your finances? Have you set a family budget? Are you tithing? Well, you know, Mike, it's pandemic and all that. Don't expect Jesus to tell you the second thing until you do the first thing. You see, the interesting thing about this passage is it works both ways. 
It works if you start with verse 1 and go to chapter, uh, verse 9. It works if you go, start at 9 and go to verse 1. Okay? Here's what I want from you. I want you to work out all your disagreements. I don't want there to be disunity in the body. I want you to rejoice always. I want you to pray about everything. I don't want you to be anxious about anything. And when you pray like that with thanksgiving, you make your petitions known, then the peace of God will guard your heart. Now, while you're in that peaceful state, here are the things I want you to think about, and here are the things I want you to do. And when you're obedient, it will control what you think about. It will release you to pray and deepen that relationship so you will trust Jesus with anything and everything and you won't be anxious. It will help you rejoice regardless of the circumstances. you'll be able to work out every relationship because you are now aligned with the purposes of Christ in his church and in your life. He was running out of paper. So he gave us these margin notes, a handful of suggestions that he really prayed hard for the Philippians. And it all gets down to this one word, Obedience. So what's the next step for you to obey? It may be as simple as becoming part of Brentwood Baptist Church. It may be working out some relationship. It may be talking about your relationship with Jesus Christ. I know, but I'm throwing a lot at you in these last few minutes. I don't expect you to have it all worked out. And that's why I'm headed to the Welcome Center. So on your right, my left side of the sanctuary. Go out and turn, you'll find it. I'll be there. I'll be there. The other ministers will be there. The counselors will be there to help you find that next step and be obedient for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we, all of us, zero in on that one moment, that one thing you want us to do, we pray now with every heart open and every life before you that we will do exactly what you want us to do. And we pray this in your name.